Exodus chapter 15. As you're turning there, you're probably going to wonder as they go down through the passage, it's going to be the latter half, we're going to start in verse 22 and work our way down to verse 26, and you want to say, Pastor, this doesn't have anything to do with Thanksgiving. You said this morning we're going to have a Thanksgiving message, and I don't read anywhere in here where it has anything to do with Thanksgiving. They're not shouting for joy, they're not excited, they're not doing a little dance and singing and none of this kind of thing. They're, they're not happy, they're not excited, they're not joyful, and we don't see anything that's good in this passage of Scripture. Well, can I say, sometimes it's good to look at the antithesis of it, to see the murmuring and the complaining and see what we're really missing out on. I believe that God shines a light deep down on our heart to really expose it for what it really is. And the message, uh, the title of the message for tonight is, What is in your heart? What is in your heart? Now, the Lord's going to bring Israel and they're going to bring them to a body of water. This body of water, they've been three days without any water. They're expecting that this water is going to be very refreshing and something that's going to excite the soul. But when you get to this water, you're going to find out that this water is bitter. And we say to ourselves, well, after three days of no water, why, why would you bring us to bitter water? I believe it's so God can expose our heart for what it really is. And so let us look at it, Exodus chapter 15. Starting in verse 22, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. And therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses and saying, What shall we drink? By the way, when we get into the book of Ruth, and of course I'm not going to be preaching that tonight, but uh, Naomi says, when she goes back into Bethlehem, and they recognize Naomi, they said, is this Naomi? She said, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara, Mara, for the Lord had dealt very bitterly with me. And there was something that happened in the heart of Naomi. Uh, she was very bitter about what happened to her when she was in the land of Moab. But of course, I believe that if she would have stayed where she was meant to be, they would never, uh, that's another message, okay? I'll stick to this message. Anyway, the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Verse 25, And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which, which he had cast into the waters. The waters were made sweet, and there he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. He proved them. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, and there were twelve wells of water. Here's the praise, guys. Twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, that you would just give wisdom and strength to be able to preach this message. And Lord, thank you for the encouragement this morning. From the preaching, my heart was certainly refreshed, and Lord, may you just challenge us here by the Israelites. Lord, may you show us what truly was in our hearts. May you deal with us and help us to have thankful spirits. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, when JFK was president, and that's a long time ago, way before my years, apparently he had a secretary of defense, and 
uh, his, he would go home to his wife, and his wife would always say, what's wrong with these people? They're always saying all these negative things about them, and how could they say such things? And I mean, this, this is ludicrous. What's going on? And she would just greet her husband like that every time that he would come home. And she's relating this to JFK during a dinner, and she's telling him, and she, JFK leans over and says, surely you don't tell your husband that, do you? So your, your husband's not going to want to hear. I don't want to come home and hear something negative every time that I come home. He says, what you need to do is find out one good thing that they say, even if it's a small thing, one good thing that they say, and say, wasn't this good? They have something to rejoice about. He said, I, don't, I, don't, I know I don't want to rehash all the negative stuff when I get home. Let me hear something positive that I can be grateful for. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, and I, it's one of these passages really near and dear to my heart. Romans 1, 21, it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, to me, when we look down through the whole passage there, we, Romans chapter 1, and I'm not going to do that tonight, when, when God begins to deal with everything that has to do with being very unthankful, we see that it's a downward spiral. There's nothing good that comes out of that. You know, when they stop glorifying God, when they stop being thankful, when they stop being grateful for all the blessings that God has bestowed upon them, when they start, stop listening to His Word and glorifying Him, that's when we start going downward day in and day out. I remember a couple of years ago being so convicted by this verse and when you read the text again, when you read the text here in Romans, you see that the ingratitude is a downward slope of a godless lifestyle. Being unthankful, it really takes the attention away from God and it draws it completely upon ourselves. When God has done so much for us, and we say, you know, this is going wrong and that's going wrong, and we're always pointing out things that are negative, it takes all the attention away from the goodness of God. And can we all say tonight that God has been good for us for sure, but it takes all, the, all the, the gratefulness and the goodness away from God and draws it completely upon ourselves, very selfish in and of itself. Being unthankful takes God's blessings for granted, as if they're not good enough. And can I tell you, God has been way more good to us than what we really deserve. And then we find out that also being unthankful makes people proud because they think that they deserve more and more and more. It's a dangerous place to be. Uh, what brought about being convicted about this verse here in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, was a couple of years ago. Uh, it might have been more than a couple of years. I can't time frame. Time, I'm not very good with time when it comes to my memory, all right? I was having a pity party. That's really what it boils down to. You know, pastors like to talk good about things that happen. These person, this person got to say, that person got to say. I got a lot of negative stories sometimes to tell about myself. I'm not, I'm not the best person in, in, in the world, all right? I was having a pity party. Just dealing with the, the effects of COVID and things that were going on during that time. COVID had just really it had gone on by. The church doors were open. Uh, just people coming in little by little, and I was just really discouraged. There was no energy in the church. Things were not happening the way I wanted them to happen. There was no enthusiasm to serve and things like this. I mean, it's just, to be completely honest with you, it was all about what I wanted to see. It had nothing to do with God. And I just had this really big pity party, and I was getting depressed with myself, and I just went to a, a pastor's fellowship. They were Southwide Baptist Fellowship, and uh, I don't know, somewhere along the line, I was reading through this passage, and it really convicted me, and it's like God saying, why don't you just be thankful for the fact that I put you in a ministry? Because that's what happened with the sons of Korah. 
Remember in the Old Testament when uh, Moses had laid out the tabernacle, the plan for the tabernacle, and everybody who was going to have their part within the ministry there with the tabernacle. Of course, the Levites were the, the main ones in charge of that, certain ones, uh, Korah and Merari and uh, I forget the other, Gershom, what it was. The three tribes would break down and they would do their own separate things. And Moses was uh, basically, he was, he was the, the, the mediator for Israel. Um, we think of Aaron, he was a high priest during this time. And so they had this system set up. And then Korah comes to, comes to Moses one day and he says, you take too much upon yourself. Moses, we, we have the same spirit of God that you do. We, we're spiritual just like you are. And they, they took too much for granted. And, and Moses says, okay, let's prove this theory. Why don't every one of us take a stick, write your name upon it, and, and God tested them and proved them, and of course, many of them died. Because they were not thankful for the fact that God had blessed them with such a ministry. It's like God saying, why don't you be thankful for the people that are here at church? God didn't owe me a ministry. The people that come out, they sacrificed to come here. Uh, we sometimes, as, can I say, sometimes as a pastor, you take these things for granted, and shame on me for that. But God had to really deal with my heart. Another would be thankful for your family that you do have. Be thankful for your health. There, there are a lot of things to be thankful for. When we're thankful, we glorify the Lord. And this is what we really got to get deep down within our hearts. Sometimes we must understand that the Word of God is like a mirror. And when I, when I was reading through that, that Word just really exposed what was deep down within my heart when I stopped paying attention to God and letting Him speak to my heart and work in my heart and ministering to the people that He gave me to minister. It really just exposed all the flaws were there. And by the way, I still have flaws that God's still working on. Begin to cut me like a knife. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing, asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And surely it really did. It cut me deep within the heart to know that I had made such a crucial mistake. Really humbled me big time. And again, I say that this was several years ago, and I had to get to the point where I had to say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm content. This is your ministry. I'm, I'm unworthy as I am to be a pastor. Lord, you've called me to this. I want to be thankful for that. I want to be content for that. Uh, I could tell you before this point in time, when before I went to that pastor's fellowship and I was really being discouraged, and I was looking for a way out, to be completely honest with you, but when this passage of scripture cut me deep down within the heart I said okay Lord if you want me here I want to stay I want to be content I want to Lord I, I don't work for myself I work for you and I know that you take care of me and as bad as that sounds okay as bad as that sounds of just letting you know God still works on my heart as well and I can say this without a shadow of a doubt before I even came here I was content to stay at prosperity I really was I really was and I believe it was the Lord leading to bring me up here. Without a shadow of a doubt, I see proof of that every single day. And uh, I'm more thankful than anything else of the fact that the work that God is doing in my life and in your life to bring us all together for His glory. But again, you know, we have to let the Word of God do that work and expose what's in there for what it really is. I believe many times we get in a hurry. I believe many times we just want what we want. 
God has to sit us down sometimes and really deal with us. You remember when you were when you were younger and you just you know, you were young and you were full of zeal and energy. You had all the answers. You had it all figured out. And your parents set you down and say, you know, you would have to listen to me. And usually that was bad news when that happens. Listen, you're too full of yourself right now. I know you don't see it, and I know you're too proud right now. And sometimes God deals with that in that fashion, and he says, you're going to have to pay attention to what I'm saying. You do not have all the answers, and I'm trying to lead you, and I'm trying to show you, and I'm trying to direct you. I'm doing what's best for you, whether you see it or not. And God begins to deal with us. God exposes our hearts for what it really is, and he does this with Israel. The hardest thing that we'll ever have to do is to be honest before God with what's really within our hearts. Take a look for what really God says that our hearts is, because he knows our hearts better than ourselves. We see it, and we say, well, there's nothing wrong there. God sees it, and he says, your heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God wants us to take a look at our heart. Tonight, we're going to take an honest look at our hearts, and I want you to come to terms with the problem. That'll be our first point. Second point, we must learn to properly relate to God. And then the third point here is we need to see the praises that God has prepared for us. And so the problem is, many times when we deal with this first point, the problem is, is many times we don't see the problem for what the problem really is. And I know that using the same word over and over is a repetition, but many times you tell somebody, hey, this is wrong. What you are doing is not right. The things that you are doing, this, this, there's a problem there. And I know that you don't see it. You think that it's fine. You think there's no problem with it. But I'm telling you, there is a problem. Can I tell you, many times we don't see that we have a problem. God has to really deal with us and show it to us. If we were part of Israel during this period of time, we would, we would look at the things as they are naturally. We would say the problem is, just as in verse 22 when we read, uh, that they have been three days without water, the problem is we don't have any water. And we would say that's the problem if we were Israel. If we would look down to the verse and we see how they began to blame Moses, we would say, Moses, you're the one that let us out here. I can't believe you don't know any directions around here. Who puts you in charge? Not realizing that God's the one that directed them that way. But if we were Israel, we would say, the problem is the man who's in charge leading us to the bitter waters, he should have picked a different place to go. I thought he knew this wilderness. And we would say, people are the problem. Moses is the problem. If we were Israel during this period of time, we would say that maybe it was God's problem. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he just forgot to check in on us. Maybe he forgot where we were going. I thought he was going to bring us into the land of milk and honey. And there's nothing like this around here. We're looking far and wide, and there's nowhere to be found. And we would say, maybe God's the problem here. Of course, we would never say that vocally, right? But the way that we act, sometimes it communicates that. It could be a host of other things, but we notice that the source of it all is what we believe to be true. It's what we believe to be true. Now, can I say this also? What we believe to be true is not necessarily true, but that's what we truly believe at that period of time. The question we've got to ask ourselves, are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? A lot of times if we... See here, we see that the children of Israel apparently were walking by sight. Faith is, the Bible tells us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
The Bible tells us faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to recognize where faith comes from, but it's, uh, again, it's not mentioned here in this text, but when we look at Israel and what they're dealing with, it seems like, seems like they are, again, walking by sight and not by faith because they're accusing Moses of trying to kill him. It doesn't expressly say that here within the text, but we find over in Exodus chapter 16, the very next chapter, just three verses later, we find he says, You brought us forth into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly alive. That's an exaggeration. That's a projection they were trying to put upon Moses. Over and over again, they accused him of saying, Moses, you're just trying to make yourself a prince. Moses, you're trying to make a name for yourself. Moses, you're trying to kill us all. Moses, you're the problem. But God was also dealing with Moses during this period of time. But again, this is what Israel perceived to be true. Doesn't mean that it was right, but they were speaking out of fear. And when we speak out of fear, because they say, well, where do we want to get water to... For our children, for our camels, for, for our cattle, for, for our things. They were speaking out of fear. What did God say? God revealed himself to Moses. He said, I'm the God of thy father Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And when Moses told the, the, the children of Israel initially after God appeared to him there in that burning bush and revealed himself as the great I am and he goes into Israel to begins to tell the, the, the Israel children what God had purposed to do through him to be a deliverer, to bring them out of Egypt into a land that he was going to show them, they, they all rejoiced. They said this, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. God said, I want to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And now they're looking at it, and they said, we're, we're, we're all going to die in this wilderness. Now, both of them cannot be true at the same time. It's either one or the other. Is God true? Is what he said right? I'd much rather take God's word over it than the children of Israel. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Meddle not with them that are given to change. And uh, many times when we look at the, you know, not only the children of Israel, it's apparent that the children of Israel would give it a change every single time that you gave them an opportunity. Why do you think God was so angry with them? Seems like at the, at the point in time where they were finally getting right, especially here at the end of chapter 15, it's like, all right, you got the big picture. God can deliver. God can provide. God can meet your needs. And then the very next chapter back again, murmuring, complaining, doubting. And then God provides man that again, murmuring, complaining, doubting. And it's like this complete pattern over and over and over and over again. But guess what? We're giving a change too. They were one way today and then tomorrow they would be another way. Israel walked for three days. They found no water. The water they did find was bitter. Moses, they believe, was the one who led them there. So logic says it's Moses' fault. And so uh, that's what's called walking by sight. They didn't believe God, and they were not thankful for the fact that God had redeemed them out of Egypt. The problem is, is their memory. Their memory. It seems to me, more and more, they say, brother, it gets worse, but I say, more and more, it seems like my memory is not as good as what it used to be. I mean, it used to be a day when I was young, my mother would ask me, what's your grandmother's number? And I could rattle off the phone number. 
Uh, what's your aunt's number? I could rattle it off. I could tell you just like this. I mean, I would go through numbers just like that. And she'd say, I don't know how you memorize them all, but thank you. And, uh, but anymore, you, you tell me something, i got to write it down. The memory is the problem. The very first Passover had just taken place in Israel. A guy that said, I'm going to set you free. They put the blood there upon the doorpost. And, of course, the Passover happened. And the next thing you know, they borrowed all the, the jewels and the gold from the Egyptians. And God had brought them out of, of Egypt. And they are walking and are pursuing. And they're going toward the Red Sea. And, and then they see that, the, that there is no way that they're going to get across naturally. In behind them, it seems like they hear the, the hoof prints. It's just boom, 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 boom. Just a continual beating of the hooves of the, of the horses and the chariots. So you can hear the wheels that are turning. And they begin to get afraid because they know that the Egyptians are pursuing after them. And as they are afraid, God does something very spectacular. Uh, not just the fact of the ten, ten plagues that he did beforehand, but he comes down as a plague in between the children of Israel and the Egyptians, so thick that they can't feel themselves. <laughs> it's like they can feel the fog, you know, that's so thick. It's just like, where am I? I can't see anybody. That's what it was like for the Egyptians. And he tells Moses, he says, uh, now I want to part this Red Sea. I want you to lift up your rod. And, and Moses tells the people, he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And all of a sudden the sea begins to split in two and the waters are open. The ground is dry so much so that they were able to walk through on dry ground. It's an amazing miracle in and of itself. And soon after they get to the other side, the last child that steps foot on the shore, the Egyptian army is pursuing and are going through. And next thing you know, God lets his hands loose from those two walls of water. They begin to come crushing down upon them, swallowing up their enemies, and are no more a threat to them. And they begin to sing a victory song, Victory in Jesus. They begin to dance. It's okay because they're Israel and they know how to dance the sanctified way. But we, in Baptist circles, we don't dance. But they did back then, all right. They, they begin to have a feast, a celebration. They begin to sing and they sing this loud song and they have, saw this miracle right before their eyes. They recognized that God did that. Only God could bring them out of Egypt. Only God could open up the Red Sea. But now all of a sudden, it's like they forgot that God had been with them the whole time. They forgot that God said He's going to deliver them. They, they forgot everything that God was preparing for them. They forgot God's faithfulness. They forgot God's power. They forgot God's love for them. God didn't leave them in Egypt. He remembered His promise to Abraham. He was faithful. If anything, you know, we're the ones who are unfaithful, not God. He's faithful in His Word. He, uh, when the ten plagues against Egypt at the crossing of the Red Sea, they should have communicated something about how God would take care of them. But now they, they're to the point where, no, 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 God's not going to take care of me. Moses, you've got to do something about this. You see the unthankfulness that's there? The unthankfulness that they are dealing with, the hardships. It wasn't what they had expected. They didn't expect that. Can I tell you this? When I remember uh, being so excited. I was going through marriage counseling and all this and getting ready for that wedding day. And I had all these expectations of how, how great and how beautiful marriage is going to be. Uh, we had our honeymoon, and right after that, I learned that uh, the expectations are not, <laughs> not the way that I, I had thought them out to be. 
I had a bad habit, and maybe, uh, uh, well, it'll be on live stream, Sarah will see it anyway, but she could, she could testify. She used to, I'd drive, I'd drive her so crazy, because at the end of the night, what I do is I take my socks off, and I put them, put them on the side of the couch. She says, you need to pick up your socks. <laughs> so, honey, you know, it's just, it's taking me a while. I'm, I'm learning. I'm like, I, I lived a bachelor life, you got to remember. <laughs> I didn't think socks was such a big deal, but it bothered her. You know what I mean? I remember, you know, the expectations of having kids. And you go to the grocery store, and I can't believe some people's kids. They would yell and scream and holler and into restaurants. I'm like, whose kid is that? My kids will never be that way. The expectations. And this is the expectations that the children of Israel had, and their expectations were not coming true. Guess what? God doesn't have to work on our terms. Uh, it's, he's in control. He's in charge. And we got to get rid of our expectations. He's not going to work through the ordinary means, but he's doing something powerful. It's through the experiences of life that God relates to his children. And it's through the experiences of life that God uh, gets our attention. They forgot that up until this point in time that the Lord had been in absolute control. For every single plague and, and everything happened the way that God said it was going to happen. And they forgot all of that. He delivered them from the Egyptian bondage. He opened the Red Sea. We forget the same God who's in control of the good days and control of the bad days. I know I forget it. You know, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to, uh, to, to not have all the answers. The same God who gave us life is the same God who's in charge over our lives. The Bible tells us that all things are working together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. What are you focused on? If we were like the children of Israel, and many times we are, we're not focused on God. We're focused on the problem. You focus on the problem, you'll forget to be thankful. You'll forget to be thankful how much God delivered you, what He saved you from. How much he's blessed you. God gave Israel clear revelation about who he was, but now the next step he wants to relate to is his own children. He wants to relate to them in their difficulties. Up until this point in time, Israel was well acquainted with the miracles. Everybody loves miracles. Everybody's praying for miracles. You know, some of the most powerful thing God does for us is not always in the miracles. It's in the day-to-day -day life and the troubles and trials of life. He doesn't owe us miracles. But God uses these trials to show us more about ourselves we don't see, to expose us for what's really there, to open up the bitterness and the anger and the, and, and the unforgiveness and everything that is present deep down in our hearts. And maybe we've, we've hidden and we've covered it up and we've, we've failed to acknowledge it because we don't want to remember those things. But God brings it out. Egypt was in their hearts. They were constantly talking about the leeks and the melons and the onions and the cucumbers. I've never heard anybody praise God for onions, but the children of Israel did. Remember those onions we had in Egypt? You remember those melons we had in Egypt? Remember how good we had in Egypt? We had good water over in Egypt. But you failed to remember the bondage you were crying out in. They had forgotten what God had done for them. They had Egypt in their hearts, and maybe tonight God's trying to get Egypt out of our hearts. And it's a hard thing to, to cope with. Egypt didn't have any, any more control over Israel. 
God didn't want His people to live in bondage uh, the same way they did in Egypt to live over in Canaan land, the land that He was going to give to the children of Israel. He had to get them to recognize you can't depend on Egypt anymore. Egypt's not in control of you. Egypt's not calling the shots. And Egypt's not going to take care of you. And Egypt had there's a power over you. You're going to have to learn to depend upon me. And you're going to have to learn to call upon me. And you're going to have to learn to, to, to relate to me. They must know him in an intimate way through the experiences of life and let him bring healing to their lives. Because that's what they needed most. Healing. Something was there in their hearts that needed to be dealt with, and God didn't take, uh, take them this way to the bitter waters by accident. It's not like God didn't know that the waters they were going to be coming to would be bitter. He knew it all along. But he did it for a reason, to show them what was really deep down within their hearts. We must learn to properly relate to God, not only see the problem for what it is, but properly relate to God. People say, well, Pastor, you've been uh, through so much. How in the world do you do it? <laughs> well, can I tell you, it's not easy. But you do it by properly relating yourself to God. To recognize He's still in control. Notice verses 25 and 26 here in our text. The Bible says uh, this. When he cried unto the Lord, the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Here it is. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. He proved them. Verse 26, or uh, was it? Yeah. He, he proved them. Verse 26, and he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. I, it seems to me that God's trying to point something out to them, that uh, he, he is not going to bring those plagues upon him, but they need to listen to him. They need to pay attention to him. He is proving them. If you obey, uh, and I'm just paraphrasing, in other words, if you obey, I'll put none of these diseases upon you. The Lord was going to, not going to lead, again, a mob of slaves into Canaan to behave like slaves there. Something had to change. We read about the bitter bondage of Egypt, but there's a worse bondage than Egypt. Every time that something would happen, they would murmur, they would complain, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They had already put up with over 400 years of iniquity of the Amorites and the people of Canaan. God did. And God didn't want his people to act the same way. So the first place that God takes them is to this pool of bitter water, to drink and to taste your own bitterness, to look at what your heart's really like, and to see that it wasn't hidden from God. Their emotions... Uh, you know, all of us, we have emotions, and sometimes emotions are stubborn things. Uh, sometimes we are led about by our emotions, and that's, that's a horrible thing. Your emotions, they come, they go, and you can't always count upon them. And your emotions could be like a roller coaster. They fluctuate so greatly. One day you feel like you could conquer the world, the next day you feel like everything is lost. But here they lost their praise that they had just days earlier. They were excited at the crossing of the Red Sea. They were going over, over the other side. Look at how great the God is that we serve. And look at what He's done. He swallowed up our enemies. There's no God like our God. And all of a sudden, they're like, we, we made a mistake. 
their emotions fluctuated greatly. And bitterness came out so easily, and what they needed was healing. Can I say this? Sometimes I'll, I get so amused when I go to Goodwill. And it seems like all these people have bought a bunch of self-help books. And the next thing you know, you find them on the shelves of Goodwill. That ought to be a sign, right? It didn't work for them. They want self-help books, and they, they think that that's going to help, and positive thinking is going to help things out. There's some things that just, it's just not going to solve your problem. You've got to be willing to deal with a problem within your own heart. Some, some of the things are spiritual, and the only way it's going to get fixed is if God helps you to fix it. It's only some things that God can do and no person can do. It's got to be God healing. So this was a spiritual problem that required a spiritual solution. We notice in the uh, first six words of verse 25, And he cried unto the Lord. You know what many of us got to do tonight? Cry unto the Lord. Not, not go out and say, Moses, what's going on here? Moses, don't you see this water is bitter? Moses, they cry out unto the Lord. That's what I learned from this text. Simple solution. Uh, all of us, we, we, we've heard this before, but this is not just some tears that are being shed and say, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. I don't know why I'm here. And That's not that. It's really proclaim, Lord, I need your help right now. It's verbal, it's a, an, an outcry, it's an expression, it's more than tears, but it could be tears as well. But there's this, this, this outburst of emotion, it's the same words that Moses would use when he dealing with his sister Miriam, who had once accused him of, uh, of his marriage with this um, Ethiopian lady, and they, they had said all kinds of things against Moses. God deals with Miriam and with Aaron, and Miriam is struck with leprosy, and Moses begins to cry out, and the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 12, verse 13, says that Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. That's the crying. He cared about his sister. And he cried out unto God. Because if somebody had leprosy back in that day, it's like they're not going to live. It's like some people almost feel about the news of cancer these days. It's like it's all over. We serve a God who can do anything. But Moses cried out unto the Lord, and we get the idea here. Sometimes uh, we just need to say it out loud. We need to communicate our God, uh, our need to God. Heal me of this bitterness. Heal me of this uh, foolishness in my heart. Heal me of this faithlessness in my heart. Heal me and just fill in the blank. The crying out unto God. And what it does is take the dependence upon, off of ourself, because many times... Uh, maybe I can just speak as a man because us men are stubborn sometimes, or maybe I can just speak for myself tonight. Takes the dependence off of myself and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I need your help. I'm putting my dependence upon you. I'm tired of having control and things not working out. I'm tired of trying to come up with the answers. I'm tired of trying to be the solution. I found out that I can't be the solution to my problems. I can't solve all my problems, but I know God can. I don't know if I should say this or not, but I'll just say it anyway. You know, the more that I've learned about this church here, 
I've, I've seen a lot of great things happening. I mean, this blessed my heart. But some of the things that hurt my heart is some of the healing that needs to take place. The hurt that some people have. The things that people have carried. And I don't know the past history, but I do know that some people that I've talked to, there's this hurt and there's this healing that needs to take place. And God's just waiting for us to cry out unto Him and say, God, I'm tired of carrying this. I can't do it anymore. I don't want to repeat the past, and I don't want to go through all these things anymore. I'm tired of this, and I just need to be broken free from this bondage that I've been carrying, and Lord, help me. The Lord has the answer for our problems, and it's okay to express our hurts. It's okay to pour out our our hearts to God, and the, the answer was very, very, seems simple in and of itself, doesn't it? After Moses cried unto the Lord, it says he, God had showed him a tree, and when he cut down that tree, and, and that tree died, and it was cast into the waters, all of a sudden, those bitter waters were made sweet. The solution wasn't exactly what they were expecting. That's not what they would have come up with, but that's what God was going to do. It was, uh, uh, Of course, he uses uh, things to bring about this healing that uh, we, we wouldn't normally think of. But I noticed that Moses took that tree, cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. And you combine uh, that with the fact that the Lord says at the end of verse 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And it seems like the Lord is saying, like that tree, like that tree that was cut down, like that tree that fell into those bitter waters and, and absorbed all that bitterness and made it sweet, that's what I can do for you. Listen, I, my God could do abundantly above all that we ask or think. There have been things that seems like the hardest things in the world to do, but I've, I've had to do them. I've had to walk through many valleys <laughs> in my life. I've had to learn to forgive. I've had to learn to uh, not hold on to the past. I've had to learn to just let things go to know I can't control it anymore. But that's what this tree teaches us. We once read of Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee was a great man of God. I don't care what history says about him. A great man, Presbyterian guy, but he was very, very uh, a devout man. Shortly after the end of the Civil War, and Robert E. Lee, he was known of a man of reconciliation. He he really didn't want to be in the middle of the battle, and uh, he, a man being from Virginia, he didn't feel like there was any choice because. They wanted him to be a, a, a general for the Union side, and being from Virginia, he didn't feel like he could do that. And so he uh, sided with the, the, the Confederate side, and he fought these battles. And, I mean, it was really hard. He confronted his own um, uh, generals and the President Jefferson, if you want to call him that, all right. He, he even confronted him. Robert E. Lee, he did a lot of, he, he starved. If his men were starving, he starved right there with them. That's the kind of man that he was. He prayed. He had religious services. He, he was involved in all this. He cared about his people. But at the end of the war, as a man of reconciliation, trying to bring healing to the land, he came across this one lady who just seemed to be all upset over everything. I think she was from Kentucky, I believe. Uh, but uh, the lady was just 
saw Robert E. Lee and began to pour out her grievances and said, I can't believe this tree used to be beautiful and it used to be great and it was a, a tree that meant something to me and they, 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 they had destroyed it and they, 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 they had just completely broken it all to pieces. I can't believe what they did to my tree. And they were expecting Robert, she was expecting Robert E. Lee to curse the, the, the union people and curse the, the fact that this had all happened. And you know what he told that lady? Cut it down. Cut it down. Madam, forget it. Cut it down. It's the power of letting go. Years before Israel had arrived at Morah, God caused a tree to be planted in this exact same place. That tree wasn't there by accident, the one that Moses cut down. God had that tree already prepared. I believe that whatever happened there with that tree, that God you know, supernaturally used that tree to take the bitterness out of the water. By all stretch of the imaginations, we, we can't say that there was something that was natural because... And you, I'm no tree expert, okay, but if you cut down any tree and waters, I mean, for it to take all the bitterness out of that whole body of water seems to be impossible with one tree, but it seemed to be a supernatural thing in my eyes. The tree that God showed Moses would be the only medicine to cure to Israel's problem. And what it required was an exercise of faith. Were they going to listen to God or not? Moses, the only way that they're going to be able to drink of this water, to take the death out of that water, to take the bitterness out of that water, to bring healing to this body of water as if you cut it down. Say all that to say this, that the bitter waters of sin flooded this earth, didn't it? It seemed almost to be prevailing. Bitterness and anger and all kinds of things that sin brings into this world, it's horrible. But God had a tree. That tree had to die. Had to be cut down in order to be thrown into water. But I'm talking about the tree in Calvary where the Lord didn't cut down the tree. Instead, He hung His life there upon the tree to die for us. Just as that tree had to die to fall in that water to bring healing and to bring life and to bring uh, everything that the children of Israel needed in order to prevail, Jesus Christ died on that cross so that we could have healing, so that we could have forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. By the way, when we're talking about the matters of the King James Version Bible, when I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, there are many of the, the modern Bibles that say that text ought not to be in the Bible when it says in John chapter, I think it's John chapter 19, where it says, Father, forgive them that they know not what they do. Many of the textual scholars would tell you today that text doesn't belong in the Bible. But can I say that's the greatest text? So we learn the power of God's healing and His forgiveness, the depth of that forgiveness for us, where He, where he paid the price for our sin, removed the penalty, and gave us power over sin and death and cleansed us from all, all unrighteousness. It's amazing. God's aware of our needs more than we are. He's more aware of our needs than we are. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well who's coming up there, she, she definitely had a great need. She thought her need was to avoid all people at all costs. 
But Jesus came into her life and brought all kinds of healing. She came looking for water and she found a Savior. Mary and Martha in John chapter 11 were looking for a healer for their brother. Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. But Jesus comes in and says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Believe us out of this. He is the life giver. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the power of everything that we need. And when he comes into our life, he comes in such a way as this, revealing himself in, in a powerful way to help us to overcome. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. Peter repeats that over in 2 Peter. We've got to come to the cross. We've got to come to the tree if we were to find forgiveness. And he'll give us the power. He says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. As a physician at work, Job chapter 5 verse 18 says, He makes sore and then bindeth up, he woundeth and his hands make whole. We must stop depending upon ourselves and properly relate and orient our lives toward God. Some people get their education and uh, I've learned this too. Some people have to be educated. I was, I was one of those that had to learn through the school of hard knocks, you know what I mean? Mark Twain once said this. I thought that, you know, this was only a modern-day problem, but he says, when I was 18 years old, I thought my father knew nothing. When I turned 21, I, I, it just blew my mind how much he had learned in that short period of time. We must learn that God knows exactly what he's doing. We say Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You know, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he should direct your path. But when it comes to living it out and practicing it, we don't really find that so much. Find ourselves trusting in ourselves and in our hearts instead of depending upon God. Your life will never be any better than the one you're depending upon. If I'm depending upon myself, I can only make my life as good as what I can make it in my own power. But if I'm depending upon God, I can have life and that more abundantly. I can have what God wants to do with my life. We come to terms with a problem. We must properly orient our life with God. And then, number three, we must learn to see His praises. Learn to see his praises. I told you I had to learn to be thankful. I'm still learning that in many, many cases. Even though I'm an optimistic person, I still have to learn to be thankful. Thankful because I saw where being unthankful can leave, lead. Thankful, thankfulness can lead to the peace of God, but not being thankful leads in that downward spiral. Being unthankful will lead you away from God, but being thankful to God will change everything. I want you to understand it something uh, very carefully here. God never asked us to be thankful for sin or for the bitter experiences of life. I've, I've heard several people, and they get confused about this because they, they've come to this conclusion, well, I've got to be thankful because of this abuse that I'm faced with. I've got to be thankful because of uh, this sin. I've got to be thankful because of that. and Because the Bible teaches me I've got to be thankful for all things. Well, wait a minute. God's not thankful for the sin. God's heart is grieved over sin. What we're to be thankful for is God's goodness. He has power over the sin and over the abuse and over the struggles and over the trials. A God who is capable to change everything about our bitter experiences. As someone who has lived with uh, both my parents being through multiple divorces, I've, I've learned how horrible it is. I've learned that I never want to go through that again. 
I was just a child, but I still know what it's like. I know what it's to go through those experiences. And uh, it's just really, really, really hard. It is really, really horrible. Nothing good seems to come out of it. And I hate divorce with a passion. I really do. I know the Bible says God hates divorce, but I, I've learned to hate it just as much. But can I say this? Just because divorce happens doesn't mean that it all is lost. I, uh, I don't know much about this, but Sarah's, Sarah's a original father, her real father. Uh, she has no memory of him. She has only one picture of her real father. Uh, he left when she was three years old. He was very involved in drugs and that kind of lifestyle, and it was not good for them to be around. Because of the horrible situation that they were faced with, it, her mother had to leave her husband and, and try to take care of her daughters, and it, it was not good at all. But can I tell you, even in those bitter experiences, again, not being thankful for what happened back then, but being thankful for what God can do, because my father-in-law is probably one of the great best things that's ever happened to both my mother-in-law and to my, my own wife. The best thing that's ever happened. The best thing that's ever happened. And just because you go through those bad experiences in life doesn't mean things cannot change because though, though my father-in-law is not a perfect man by the long shot, I, I, I highly respect him. He's led my family, and of course not all, all perfectly, but he has brought our family. He, he encourages them to come together and to worship. I'm looking forward to being there for Thanksgiving and uh, to be in, in uh, Heritage Baptist Church up in uh, Massachusetts and being able to preach in that evening service and seeing both of my father-in-law and mother-in-law serving there within the church and seeing the, the fact that my own wife was saved because... My, my mother-in-law wanted them to be there for a Mother's Day service, and she got saved under the conviction of the preaching of the Word of God. Good things come out of this. I'm thankful for what happened afterwards, but I'm not thankful for the divorce. And what I'm saying tonight, you don't have to be thankful for the bad things that happened. You don't have to be thankful for being mistreated. You don't have to be thankful for the sin that has happened. You don't have to be thankful for the hurts. But you can be thankful for the changes that God is able to bring. Because our God is good. Our God loves us. Our God could change anything. Jeremiah chapter 18 tells us that he can remake us again. He can redeem us. He can reconcile us. Just, it's really amazing what God can do. To praise God uh, for the sin and for the abuse, for the destructive behavior, would be to praise something that God does not like, so don't do it. And I have to reemphasize that because I've heard it so much. I've, this, this is just an aside, okay? I was working at McDonald's one day. This is when I was going to Bible college. I worked at McDonald's, and there was this young lady that was working there. She was going through a hard time in her life, and she was, she was telling another coworker. and I'm, I'm listening into the conversation. Forgive me for eavesdropping, but that's what I was doing. And she was telling this co-worker, she says, uh, I went through this bad experience and I was asking my pastor, why? You know, how do I make sense of that? And the pastor said, don't ask questions why and don't doubt it. You just thank God for, I'm like, that was horrible. I can't believe some of the attitudes that some pastors have, all right? It's just, it breaks my heart, breaks my heart. But notice that in verse 27, they came to Elam where the 12 wells of water and the 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. 
And God calls him to rest in pleasant places. And it reminds me of Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what my God can do. God was ready to give them great and abundant blessings, but they had to learn to see what was deep down within their hearts. They had to learn to properly relate to him, them and also to see God's praises and, and to call out unto God and depend upon God and to seek God's help during all these situations. They saw what God had prepared for them. That's the blessing that I see out of this. In his book, Folk Psalms of the Faith, Ray Steadman, he tells of an experience H.A. Ironside had in a crowded restaurant. You know, Ironside, he's one of these popular people, and uh, probably down in, just, I'm guessing this probably happened in Dallas, Texas. Of course, he traveled all over the place, but apparently he was in a restaurant, and uh, he just, uh, he was getting ready, he got his food, he was getting ready to bow his head and to pray, but before then, a the guy came over, and he says, well, can I sit down with you? And so he invited him to have a seat, and so he bowed his head, and uh, he began to pray, and the guy asked him, he says, do you have a headache? He says, no, I don't have a headache. He says, uh, well, well, what's wrong with you? Is something wrong with your food? He says, no, nothing's wrong with the food. I was simply thanking God as I always do before I eat, and the man said this, he says, oh, you're one of those, are you? Well, I want you to know I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow, and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. And H.A. Ironside looked at the guy and he said, so does my dog. That's a good thing to give thanks. Our lack of thankfulness does not impress anybody, but it shows a deeper issue in our hearts. So we've got to come to terms with a problem. We must properly relate ourselves to God and learn to praise Him for the good things that He is bringing about. I see good things, don't you? But if you got this hurt and you need healing, I've, I'm not the answer to your problem, but I know the Savior is. The Bible says, in everything, in everything, give thanks. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, as I mentioned already, just from my short time of being here, I've heard of the hurts and the pains and the heartaches, the bitter experiences of life. But I thank God that you are the God that healeth us. And Lord, may you bring peace and blessing into our hearts and lives. May you show us the Elams, the things that we can give praise over the blessings that we don't even deserve. And may we praise you just for how great that you are. You want the best for us. And may you just work in our heart. May you convict us. May you draw us closer to you. May you, may you just help us sometimes just to even pour out those tears and to say thank you, Lord, for healing us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to